All right. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. I'm Mark Mahaney, head of Internet Research here at RBC. Uh, my colleague Jan Lee will join me uh, in uh, interviewing uh, Paul Vogel, the CFO of Spotify. Thrilled to have him. I got love the background with the fire going on, Paul. You, you've got you've got it set up, and with the DJ, uh, you know, podcasting mic, you you're, you are you you play the role, man. Um, so th- thanks a ton for joining us. We only got thirty minutes. If anybody wants to ask questions. Uh, there's already some that have gotten in here. Uh, so just, uh, you know, throw questions in the Q&A box. We'll do our best to bring them in. And, Paul, I want to start off with you. This is, you know, for good or for bad, I want to be glib about it, the vaccine conference. So, you know, we've had two major pieces of news that suggest that we may be reopening up cultures, societies, you know, economies, et cetera. How, how do you think that, that – does that have any meaning for Spotify? Did, did the COVID crisis – have a dramatic impact on your business? Which parts of the business were most impacted and which least? So maybe answer that and then whether the reopening is going to have, uh, should investors should think about that having a material impact on your business. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And thanks for everyone who's uh, on the webcast listening. Um, yeah, I mean, look, at, at a, obviously a very high level, vaccines are great. So, I mean, I think we'd all be, you know, super thrilled if, if, uh, if the economy starts opening up again and, and, and people are feel safe and secure going out again. So that obviously goes without saying, you know, from our perspective, um, your business has been really strong throughout the entire year. Um, you know, we've exceeded uh, our um, expectations for users and subscribers from where we were when we started the year. So uh, we've actually added about 8 million more monthly active users in the first nine months of this year than we did in the first nine months of last year about almost 3 million more subscribers in the first uh, nine months of this year versus last year. So, you know, the, from a very high-level perspective, the pandemic hasn't really impacted our business. I think we've been really, really pleasantly surprised with how well we've continued to grow, um, both from a user perspective and a subscriber perspective. Um, as we've talked about, the the listening behavior has, has definitely changed. Um, and we've talked about this. You know, we've seen a lot more listening uh, in home, in home speakers. Game consoles have been really, really strong for us. Um, you know, and we talked about how car listening really dipped uh, in that kind of March, April time frame. It's come back, you know, and now listening to the car is back above. But even with listening to the car, you know, people are in their car for um, shorter periods of time. They're not commuting as much. And what we've actually seen on the consumption side, while consumption, again, is back above pre-COVID levels, um, the... The mid the, the midweek, you know, so Monday through Friday looks more similar to a weekend than it did in the past, right? So weekend obviously has a has a certain cadence to the day, uh, and the the normal work week has a cadence in terms of uh, where you normally see really heavy commuter times in the morning and afternoons, and, and how listening shifts. On a weekend, the listening tends to be more um, spread out throughout the day, and we've seen more of the of the weekdays look more like the weekends. Again, overall consumption is is strong and back above COVID levels. But we have seen those types of changes. I guess that's uh, that. I guess that's actually pretty bullish. You have this dramatic impact on how people traditionally uh, access Spotify. You know, during their commutes, during their gym workouts, you know, at the club or whatever. And um, uh, but then it seems like the the service was uh, the value proposition must must be highly resilient to people just figured out other ways to listen to their Spotify. I guess that's a bullish yeah, I mean, takeaway. Yeah, I mean, we feel we feel really good about it. I think to your point, you know, we um, so one of the things we've always talked about, you know, we've talked about this all the way back to before we went public and the investor day um, was ubiquity and right how being ubiquitous across as many devices and platforms as we possibly can is really what's helped drive Spotify. And so we're on over 2000 devices. And so that ubiquity strategy has really lent itself to success. Right. So, um, as we said, we've seen really strong um 
uh, growth in, in game consoles. Uh, the new PlayStation actually has a Spotify button built into the media remote, which is great for us. We've seen integrations continue to move forward with, with um, Xbox as well. So we're seeing even more um, lean in from them and, and success uh, on game consoles uh, from us, which is great. Um, there's a, you know, you'd be surprised at how many people want to listen to Spotify on top of, you know, the music or the, 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 the noise that comes with a, a normal game, which has been great. Smart speakers have been great. Um, so that's actually been really great. And then to your point, I think, you know, when things do start to get back to normal, getting people back out in, into gyms and commuting in cars uh, is only going to be additive to where we are right now. And then, Paul, there was one element, part of your business, though, that was negatively impacted by COVID, your ad revenue. Like, that really chunked down in the June quarter, a lot of part of the March quarter. Uh, and I think there's some very interesting things you're doing there. But but that, you know, that should be, that should be, a, that should see a nice recovery for you. I, I assume it was negatively impacted. You would expect that to recover well going into next year. Yeah, I mean, it was down, you know, pretty significantly the ads business um, in Q2. Uh, we saw a return to growth in Q3. You know, our, expe- our expectation is we'll grow even faster in Q3 year, and, or I'm sorry, Q4 year on year than we did in Q3. We, we exited the quarter feeling really good about the business. Um, we have some some strength in podcast advertising, um, a lot of strength in our ad studio business, which is our self-serve tool, which we feel really good about. Um, and so we feel good about where the ads business is. Obviously, we'll have to see. I mean, I think um, we're clearly not out of the woods yet with respect to the pandemic. And obviously, we've all seen um, kind of how the numbers have, have risen for the last uh uh, last couple of weeks and months, both in the U.S. and in Europe. But in general, I think we feel pretty good about where we are from an advertising perspective. Okay. I definitely want to ask you about podcast advertising and a megaphone deal. But first, uh, just the impact of – just remind us of the impact of podcasting on uh, Spotify's subscriber behavior and MAU behavior. Uh, this is – I don't know why, but this for a variety of reasons, this has really become the year of podcasting. Maybe the year of podcasting was every year, the last couple of years, but it seems like it really hit an inflection point. So what impact has that had on your user growth, retention, engagement? Yeah, so it's, it's been positive. And so I think as we've talked about, uh, 22% of our monthly active users now uh, engage in podcasts, which is great. Um, that's you know pretty much ticked up every quarter for the last five or six releases, as long as we've been reporting it. Um, so that's really great. You know, we're seeing people who engage with podcasts and engage with more content. You know, and in general, we believe that you know the higher you have, the, the more engagement you have, the better you retain, the lower churn goes. Those are all things. We're still um, early enough that kind of proving out all of the um, causality relative to correlation on some of those things. We're still working to prove out, but we feel really good about sort of the health of what podcast is doing for the overall. Um, you know, business and ecosystem at, uh, at Spotify. So, um, yeah, so I think we feel, we feel like we're, we're definitely moving in the right direction. And then I'm going to ask you a simple question and a more specific question. Talk about how you monetize that podcast usage. There's probably some simple answers for that. And then how this megaphone deal um, uh, comes in to help you maybe better monetize podcast usage. Yeah, so I would think about podcasts in, in two ways, right? And so there's there's the obvious and then there's the not so obvious. Um, well, maybe not so obvious in that it's hard for you guys to sort of discern what's going on. So the obvious is, is simply like we have podcasts. The more podcasts grow, the more ad inventory there is to sell uh, across podcasts. Um, it's from a, from a business perspective over the long term. It's a lot more fixed price content, which is great for us. Um, and so... Um, you know, as we sort of grow, it will have the ability to grow advertising on top of a different type of cost structure, which is which is really interesting to us. And so for us, it's really about from that that one side, it's what's the overall um, bucket of costs we're going to spend and what's sort of the advertising revenue. That's sort of the obvious side. 
And then the second side is sort of what you, you talked about in your first question, which is what does it actually do for uh, user growth? What does it do for subscriber growth? How does it help with retention? How does it help with engagement? And those are all the things that we're working to track right now and to understand the value of each piece of content we put on the platform. What What is that overall value to us? How can we measure it in both the concrete way of what does it drive specifically for advertising, but also what does it drive for new users, new subscribers? Um, do they retain more? And then when you really think about it, there's a there's more nuance in that as well, right? So for instance, you could have a show that is great because it's incrementally driving people to the platform, right? So obviously we have um, Joe Rogan, who's now on our platform. It's going to become exclusive to our platform in December. And so we've built in some expectations of new subscribers or new users who will come to our platform that previously weren't there, um, but will come now because uh, of Joe Rogan, right? So that would be an obvious one. But then you have the not so obvious, which would be, okay, what if there's someone who's already on our platform, um, wasn't really a fan of, or didn't know they were a fan of a certain piece of content, but now we have it. And so they didn't come to the platform because of other piece of content, but because we have it, they've now found it. It's made their experience that much better. And so now that user is also going to retain higher or, or churn lower. So all of these components are how we, we think about measuring the value that each piece of content has uh, to us on, on the platform. Um, and the second part was on, I think, Megaphone? Megaphone, yeah. Yeah. So, look, I think for us, Megaphone is, is we're really excited about it. We think it's a way to accelerate um, our ability to, to grow our advertising business. By having incremental uh, inventory, we think we're going to be able to you know, sell more. We're going to be able to lean in from a technology standpoint. We're going to be able to grow SAI, which is something that we've only offered on our owned and exclusive podcast, out to a wider range of advertisers. And so we think it's just an accelerant to what we're already doing. We're super bullish on the technology we have and the products that, that we are developing. And now you throw on top of it all this additional inventory um, that we think will be able to help monetize in an even better way. Um, that, you know, that would be really good for the business. And, you know, we're optimistic also from a margin structure that this is something that will be helpful to the business over the long term as well. And I'm sorry, dumb it down just a little bit, Paul, if, if not for investors, at least for me. The, the, uh, this accelerates SAI and accelerates inventory. Why? Just step back a little bit, a little more basic on Megaphone, the win here for yeah. you. Yeah, so obviously they have, they have a, a ton of inventory that they have from people whose podcasts they're hosting and they're sort of selling that remnant inventory for. And so being able to add all of that into our ecosystem, we think will really be great in terms of helping them grow their business even more. But then eventually... Um, adding like SAI into their platform, which will then be another tool, another way to target uh, for advertisers that will both benefit the creators of content because we think it'll monetize at a higher rate for them, but also grow our overall ecosystem. We feel really good about the demand for um, podcasts and podcast advertising on our platform. And so it's really not a, a demand issue for us right now on the podcasting side. So adding more supply into the ecosystem, uh, we think will be really beneficial. Okay. All right, let me switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, pricing uh, power. And, um, oh, I know people have been asking uh, Spotify about this for years. And it seems like uh, you've started to do a few uh, uh, price experiments recently. So just remind us or tell us what are these, what are some of the pricing steps that you've taken recently? And do you plan to do this broadly, globally? And do you think you have pricing power? Yeah, so, um, well, obviously we get this question a lot. Um, and so we, we've experimented with pricing over the last couple of years. We've done a, very, a couple of very small ones. 
uh, New Zealand. Obviously, I think a lot of people have heard about the tests we did in, in the Nordics where we saw very little um, uh, impact on uh, any of our metrics in a negative way. So those went really well. So we've now leaned into uh, an additional seven markets um, where we're going to continue to test and learn and think about where we can have pricing and where we have pricing power. And so for us right now, it's um, it's really trying to understand we have where we are in terms of some markets with respect to overall streaming penetration. Where are we in terms of market share in those markets to really understand sort of the type of pricing power we have? That's number one. Number two is, you know, when you look at it from sort of a value per hour standpoint, we've added uh, a ton of value into the Spotify ecosystem. We haven't really changed prices at all since we've launched. Our goal has and continues to be growing top of the, of the of the funnel, right? So growing users and growing subscribers. But we also recognize that we've added a ton of value into the ecosystem. There so, might be some markets where um, we do feel like um, uh, we're giving so much value to users that adding you know pricing that won't really be a, a big deal or a hindrance. Um, and so that's kind of where that the first step was. That's where this incremental step is. And then we'll see about where it goes in 2021. I think um, there's a potential for us to continue to, to raise prices in some additional markets. We're obviously going to be very mindful of COVID and the pandemic and sort of how um, people are doing and how the economies are doing, um, as well as seeing how sort of these next seven markets go in terms of, of performance. But, um, you know, it's definitely something we, we talked about on the call. We have some markets we're testing, and it's, it's likely but not guaranteed that we'll, we would test some more in, in the upcoming year. What's the biggest uh, country uh, market where you've actually raised prices? Um, it's New Zealand and Australia. Okay. It's probably Australia because I know that that's bigger than New Zealand. Should we expect <laughs> a, uh, a price increase in the U.S.? Uh, in if, if COVID does get reasonably controlled in the next 12 months, should we expect a price increase in the U.S.? Yeah, it's tough to say. We haven't obviously announced any additional markets. Um, but like I said, I think right now we're testing some bigger markets, some smaller markets, and some markets in different geographies, different languages. And so I think we'll take the learnings from that and then from there figure out what makes sense for potential um, increases in additional markets. Okay. Let me switch and ask you a couple of um, P&L questions. The... the, uh, the uh, the subscription gross margins, um, where, where do you think about where they can go uh, long-term? And I know there's a series of different drivers. Is something become materially bigger as a driver of, of subscription gross margins, you know, in the last 12 months? Yeah, I would say, I mean, look, I think at a high level, we don't really, um, well, we think about gross margins as a consolidated basis, right? And so I think, um, as a lot of people know, the, the entire cost of the podcasting business is being um, the brunt of that is, is being um, uh, impacting the, the advertising gross margin and not the, the premium gross margin. Right. And there's obviously a benefit from a um, from a retention standpoint and a conversion standpoint uh, on the premium business, even though just from a financial perspective, we account for all in advertising. So I think there's a little bit of a of a mismatch there that we try and um, just wanted to I, I just wanted to highlight. And I really think about it just as a consolidated what's our gross margin. Right. And so. You know, we'll call it plus or minus, you know, 25% right now. And the question is, how are we going to get higher? I think we have a couple yeah. of, of avenues to do it, right? I think advertising growth in general uh, is one, both on podcasting in general, where, as I said earlier, the, the model could be a little different. Two, advertising in, uh, where there's some markets where we really uh, under-monetize and um, we actually take a, a little margin hit in some markets where um, we don't generate enough advertising. So just growing advertising in some of those markets where um, that would really benefit gross margin. Um, 
more optimistic about the two-sided marketplace and the opportunities there from a from a monetization standpoint and it benefit benefit the gross margin they you know new to us but megaphone and what that potentially could do uh, on a margin side and then as we go further along you know how we can work with the labels kind of in smarter and different ways that potentially could could benefit us and, and benefit the, them as well so we think there are a number of factors that that will help gross margins uh, over time you know as we've talked about you know we are continuing to invest in the podcasting business and so as we think about uh, the investment in 2020, but what we might want to do in 21 and 22, you know, that could impact it. And again, that will be really driven by some of the successes and learnings we have from the, the current investments, which will then help us dictate, you know, how much we continue to spend. And um, I think as we've also said a number of times, you know, if you see us continue to spend aggressively in podcasting, um, it's probably a good indication that we feel like the benefits to the overall business, both from an advertising standpoint, but also from a, user growth and retention and churn standpoint that we're seeing that as well. Uh, at the time of the IPO, you talked about long-term gross margins of 30 to 35%. Any particular factors that have made you more confident in that range or less confident over the last two years? Yeah, we haven't really updated that, but I don't, we haven't changed our, our views on where margins could go. Um, I still feel like okay. there's a, a lot of opportunity for us to, to move margins up over time. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, any thoughts on whether any uh, competitive um, uh, offerings, uh, Apple One bundle, um, uh, things like that, have had any impact on you? Um, yeah, I mean, look, we, we haven't really seen anything to date. Um, I think for us, I mean, I'd say a couple of things. One is most of the things that, that transpire um, are things that you can imagine we've already assumed or thought about what would likely happen. So, you know, it's not a surprise to us that some of our competitors are going to want to bundle their offering with other offerings they have uh, within their existing ecosystems. But, you know, for us, you know, going back to what we said, or I said very early in the uh, in this conversation, you know, having ubiquity is really helpful for us because we work across everyone's platforms just as well. And, and as many people know, most people now have multiple different operating systems within their home. So the fact that we work seamlessly across all is actually a huge advantage for us. Um, that's number one. Number two, continuing to lean into product innovation, um, both on the UI side, on the algorithms, on the discoverability, we think has been will be continue to benefit us. And then obviously on the content side and having original content and unique content, particularly on the podcasting side. So for us, it's all about being um, the number one player in audio. We think we, you know, we're an audio first company. We think having that focus on audio and solving audio needs actually gives us a really differentiated platform. Um, and that's how we're going to continue to compete. So we're we're always well aware of what our competitors are doing. Um, doesn't really change how we operate our business, and we feel really good, you know, competitively about our position. Okay, super. I, let me. I'm going to pull from a couple of the questions because there are a lot that have come in, uh, Paul. You're, you're popular. Um, the double-sided marketplace. What's preventing other labels? I think it's Universal that you've struck that deal with. Uh, that uh, they have a two, two-sided marketplace element in that deal. What's preventing the other labels from participating? And then just want to level set our expectations about how big the double, the two-sided marketplace could be for the company. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing preventing the other labels from doing it, and, and it. And the fact that we've sort of explicitly called out Universal doesn't mean we haven't at times worked with the other labels and experiment with them as well. Um, the unique thing about Universal is that, um, you know, because they're willing to sort of lean in uh, more aggressively, you know, they're, they're in the room working with us more to help figure out which products are working um, and which things they really want to lean into from a, from a product and a growth standpoint. Um, 
But look, we think that the tools that we have will be additive to everyone in the ecosystem. Um, we think it's just, you know, we'll take some time for some folks to understand exactly what that means, how it can benefit them, um, and we'll move forward. So we're, we're super excited that Universal has leaned in. Um, you know, our hope and expectations will that, that other labels, both the big ones and small ones, uh, you know, will lean in more aggressively over time. And we've had, you know, successes both at, at the at the major labels and the um, and the independents. So, um, you know, that's that's kind of where that one stands. A couple of questions on a high definition subscription, uh, like uh, like Amazon uh, has. Do you think is there a market for that? Yeah, I mean, look, it's something we always uh, think about. We're always we're always um, looking at di- you know different products and different services. Um, so, you know, nothing to announce at this point in time, but, but obviously we, we, we look at everything to figure out what makes the most sense for us and what could be really value-added for our, uh, for our users. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, sorry. Okay, there's a couple that came in on HD, so I guess you got those. Uh, can you use the Joe Rogan brand as part of your subscriber marketing once the exclusivity period starts? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see why not. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, he'll, it, it will become exclusive um, in December. Um, so we're really excited about that. I mean, just taking a step back in general, we've been very pleased with how um, the, uh, the performance of, of Joe Rogan has been already to date. Um, I think, you know, we, we, we've, it's done better than expected. Um, we're in a non-exclusive period. So anyone who was listening to, to Joe Rogan on another platform didn't necessarily need to, or have an incentive to move over to Spotify. You know, that being said, I think we feel really good about, um, about how it's gone so far. We're really optimistic about what happens in the, um, exclusive period of time. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, part of that was the, the, the ability for us to develop sort of this vodcasting, uh, tool as part of Joe Rogan. And so we, um, we know that there's a, a significant portion of, Joe Rogan listeners who also like to watch the, uh, the video. And so having that sort of video part of the podcast has really been something that we had to develop um, in order to sort of make this, uh, this marriage work. And so far we've been really pleased with that as well. And that's something that, you know, potentially we could, uh, we could transport into other podcasts over time. Let me ask you one more question and I'll spin it to Jan. Uh, talk about some of the more important international markets for Spotify in the next year or two. Rush is still a recent a recent launch. I think you've said that it's been uh, the best launch. I guess that's in terms of new MAUs and new subs. Is that what you meant? Uh, and is are there any other uh, mar- uh, country markets that could be as big as Russia that could be potentially on the slate for the next year or two? Yeah. So with Russia in particular, um, it has been, it was, it was probably the most successful launch we've had just in terms of the speed with which we added um, users and subscribers. It really far exceeded our expectations. And so um, to us, it really was a nice indication that there really is um, significant pent up demand in a number of markets that we, uh, that we operate in. You know, I think the two areas that we've talked about that we're not in yet um, would be uh, South Korea uh, and Africa and, you know, our goal is to be in every market that makes sense for us. Uh, we, we plan to be in those markets. And so just it's a question of, you know, when's the right time to launch and when do we have the right product and product market fit and, and licensing set up um, to get there. But those would be the, the big ones. Jan? Great. Thanks, Mark. Um, I want to circle back on kind of um, 
he talks about just adding video element into podcasting, which probably creates more engagement. Um, in terms of just the product innovation, um, both in terms of music and podcast, and this is uh, combining a question that came in as well. Is there an opportunity uh, for uh, for Spotify to go into like live streaming, either like music or live streaming um, audio in general? Is this something that you guys have considered? Yeah, I mean, we get this question a lot. Um, look, I think for us, for the most part, sort of the, the on-demand component of Spotify is really what set us apart. Um, and so I think we will continue to offer tools and services that really work for artists um, uh, and, and their teams and, and, and help them in any way that we can. I don't know if, if live is something we would do or not. Um, but again, for the most part, it's really been about helping and find ways for them to sort of grow their businesses in sort of the on-demand world that, that we've operated in. Um, that's probably the best way I can answer it. Jan, you want to go ahead with one more question? Then I'll, then I'll take it back over. Uh, yeah, sure. And uh, maybe, let's see. Um, another thing is just, uh, have you uh, considered any collaborations? I think in, recently in the in the app, there is more of a kind of an Instagram-like feature um, alongside the uh, the music streaming. Um, I'm wondering if you have kind of uh, considered adding like a social element to it, either in partnership with the uh, social platforms or maybe creating uh, a more kind of in in app experience that's more social. Yeah, I think for us, so I think social is an interesting one because I think what we have found historically with respect to social is it's been less about um, consumer to consumer social. So that has never really been a big driver, and we've experimented with that in the past. Social can be helpful as connecting uh, the creators and the artists to their fans. And so for us, you know, I think what we'll continue to do is lean into ways that artists uh, and creators can connect with their fans in, in more and different ways. Um, doesn't mean we wouldn't necessarily do something on the other side of social, but historically, um, at least on, on our platform and the way people consume music on our platform and, and audio, um, it's been really more about finding ways to connect the creators um, you know, to their fans. Great. Um, last two questions, Paul. Paul, just from a user perspective, are there any new features that you think investors may not appreciate that uh, have been rolled out and that have been extremely popular, increased usage or engagement? Yeah, I mean, look, we always have have new stuff. Where we, we test hundreds and sometimes thousands of things every quarter. Um, you know, we have our sort of new mixed media playlists that combine sort of talk and music, um, which is sort of an extension of, of things we've done in the past. I think we're really excited about the ability to, to have that all in, um, in different types of playlists. Um, so that's, I think that's a new one that, um, we're really excited about. Um, you know, if you think about sort of the daily drive, which was a mixed media playlist, it's sort of an extension upon things we had done in, in that world where, um, you'll have sort of that talk component and that music component and, and within that music component, the, the artists will be able to get paid for the music within those playlists, which is, which is a really exciting, uh, opportunity for us. So I'd say that's a big one. And then, you know, other than that, it's always continued to evolve, you know, the product and the UI and, and for us, particularly the discoverability, um, we still think there's a, a lot we can do to improve discoverability, both on the music side, but, you know, also increasingly on the podcasting side so that, you know, users and, and, um, and subscribers have a, have a, a easier and better way of finding and discovering new and exciting um, audio content. Great. 
One of the challenges, I think, for Spotify and other streaming services is, is that overall music listening was so heavily geared towards back catalog. Has that changed at all in the last five years uh, because of discoverability, because of uh, recommendations that you've been able to get people to expand their musical horizons? Yeah, so we've seen, um, you know, I think the top uh, the top 90% and went from about 15,000 to 50,000 artists over the last couple of years. Um, which is a really exciting. It means that there's that many more artists who are hitting that top tier level. Um, and then when you look at sort of that, the middle ground as well, that is really um, uh, expanded materially as well in terms of the number of artists who are being uh, discovered uh, in that middle tier as well. So, you know, we believe actually it's been actually great for the overall music ecosystem because you've got even more artists who are actually able to crack into sort of that top tier. And then you have even more artists who are, who are being discovered in terms of, you know, getting into sort of that, a mid-level tier um, you know, of success and, and, um, and listenership. So yeah, we feel really good about sort of how we've actually been able to, to broaden out listenership. And then I'm sorry, last question, a possibility of creating, uh, if, uh, as podcasting becomes more and more popular, is there interest in just a podcast only service either from your side or for consumer side? Yeah, I, I will see. Um, I think for us, again, it's, there'll be a lot of testing and experimenting about what works and what's going to be the right thing for, creators and certain creators and what might work for the consumer. So, you know, I don't know. Um, I think we'll have to see, but I think for us, it's, um, you know, we, we will likely test and learn on a whole number of, of features. I'm not sure if that's going to be one of them or not, but I think the one thing I would say is for us, we're constantly evolving. We're constantly going to take risks and we're going to continually look at ways to improve the product. It may be small tests. It might be big tests and it might be things that you guys, you know, kind of pick up in, in, uh, uh, in the press, and it might be things that just sort of never even make it to the light of day. But I think you can assume that we'll we'll think about lots of things, what we end up doing or not doing. Um, I think we'll just time will tell. Okay. All right, Paul Paul Vogel, CFO of Spotify. Thank you very much for your time, Paul. Hope you stay uh, safe and healthy, and look forward to seeing you in person next year. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you.